Good morning. My name is Lexan. I'll be reading today's scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he bought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased his joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in the, at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boots of the tramping warrior in battle to, to, to tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. With justice and with righteousness, from his time forth and forevermore, the seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. <clears throat> Thank you, Lexin. <clears throat> this passage seems to describe an amazing event that happens in history that gives people, particularly God's people, great joy. Some kind of event that is the, that causes the greatest party and celebrating that humanity has ever seen. <clears throat> and I wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder if you can think about an event in your life and that led you to a lot of joy that kind of happened maybe out of nowhere and all of a sudden just joy was what you were feeling. I'll tell you the story of one such person who had an event in their life like that, a defining moment, was Steve Jobs. So just want to contextualize this passage for us a little bit. Steve Jobs, you guys know, the founder of Apple, he had this defining moment that I enjoyed reading about. It was very interesting. He, as you know, he founded Apple and that, that's done pretty well. Um, at this stage, but it wasn't always like that, if you know the story. He started the company, and because of his management style and leadership decisions, the company started to fail, and he was kind of a hemorrhoid for his employee, the people he worked with. He was a pain to work with, and um, they kicked him out of his own company, and then he started Nexus. You guys ever heard of Nexus? Yeah, not really, because it didn't do very well. It also was failing, and, um, and so he was kind of a failed leader, a failed uh, businessman, except he made one decision, kind of on a whim, a hobby, kind of a hobby interest. He bought 
a small, unknown graphic animation company called Pixar. And he did the smartest thing of his career at that point. He stayed out of the way. He did not get involved in their operations at all. And they just did their thing. But he invested in it. And so November 22nd, 1995, Toy Story was released to great fanfare, critical acclaim, and lots and lots of box office office millions. Uh, No, that was November 22nd. November 29th, Pixar went public with its IPO. And overnight, Steve Jobs became a billionaire. And he talks about how he felt in that moment, having failed and failed and failed. And in that moment, he had the victory and he had the abundance of what Pixar delivered for him in becoming a billionaire. That moment, you know, changed his life. It validated him and he had arrived. That is the kind of moment that we see happen for God's people. It is like that. That because of something that God did, God's people feel an overwhelming sense of joy and victory. And so let's read this in verse three. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, at the amazing IPO. Okay, I'm just, again, trying to contextualize for you guys. And they are glad when they divide the spoil, the victory against enemies. What made them so happy? Well, last week, we saw the theme of forgiveness, right? We learned that this child that was born, Zechariah, as he's praying about him, he says that he is going to reign on the throne of David. He is a king. And so salvation is rejoicing in the reign of earth's king, of our king. But the only way we can rejoice in the reign of that king is if we're confident that we're good with that king. What if we're his enemies? That's not something we can rejoice in. And so part of our joy and our salvation is that we are forgiven. That this, that this king has a soft spot. He's got a gooey middle center of his heart. Mercy, tender mercy. But faith, so faith embraces in order to rejoice in our salvation, we have to experience personally us being made right with our king through the blood of Jesus, through his mercy. We have to experience that. We'll never rejoice in God's reign without that. But actually, there's more that faith needs to embrace. Faith needs to embrace not only the mercy of God, but also the power of his deliverance. And so what that means is that, yes, we're guilty before God of our own sin, but we're also burdened by the evil of the world. We're burdened by the darkness of the world around us. We do bad things, and also bad things are done to us and around us. And things, are, you know, we, we, things do not work right, and so there's just pain. There's just pain in life. And so not only do we need forgiveness, we need to be delivered. And so that's what we see in this passage. The problem Isaiah addresses for God's people is not their own sin, 
but the sin of oppression. Verse four, why are they so happy? For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And so the source of joy for God's people in Isaiah is that this child was given which is going to defeat their enemies and bring them into a place of abundance. He leads them, right? You, we notice the two kinds of joy, the joy of the harvest and the joy of divide, dividing the spoils. Joy of the harvest, those, those ideas, don't they capture the two greatest longings and needs of our heart? One is to feel protected, to feel like our, we're, we're not under threat from other people and other forces wanting to hurt us, that we're safe, but also that we have prosperity, that we have abundance, that we are going to succeed and flourish in life. We long for those two things, and so God's people are overjoyed that they have that in fullness, fullness of victory, fullness of abundance, But obviously that creates a huge problem for us. How do we experience that kind of joy? Life is still hard. That's one of the problems. You know, I don't know if you were able to do the Lecto Divina that Nicole led us in in the devotional, but you're supposed to kind of feel out what stands out to you. What is God saying to you? And for me, I go, how is this still true? The son was given, look at all this joy, look at all this victory, and ugh, I still have major problems in my life, right? I'm still burdened, my manager is a problem in my life. Like we talk about the, the joy of the harvest, and a lot of you have a job that is providing for you, but it's a tough work environment, and you, have, you don't know what to do, you're stuck. That is still our reality. And we have money is tight. Relationships are strained. How do we enter into the kind of joy that we see in this passage because of the child that was given? It's a huge problem, but it's also a clearly defined problem. So that's what they teach you about problem solving is can you define the problem? Call it what it is. And so the, 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 what the Bible is saying is this child has been given. And what that means for us today is that the essence of our salvation has come, but not the fullness, not yet. And so the problem is, is that today we live in the already, but not yet of our salvation. It has broken through, but has not fully arrived and so the question then is, can we experience any of this joy, this joy of abundance, this joy of victory until Jesus comes? Do we have to wait until he comes to experience that? So we have this great vision of the sun coming and we experience it, but what, we have to keep waiting. And so I think my answer today, and I think this is the point of Advent for us as God's people, is that we can enter into that joy now because of one great power we have Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says 
Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the power that God gives us to believe in him and his promises in such a way that they feel more real than what's right in front of our eyes. Faith allows us to be so assured of what God is and who he is that it's as real as a baby being born. And we enter into that joy because of faith. We live by faith, not by sight, Paul says. That's saying that this power of faith to believe could be more powerful than what you see with your eyes. And you absolutely can enter into this joy. So for Advent, we want to see the giving of this child as this son as such an event that we feel the joy of being delivered into a great abundance and having a great victory so that Steve Jobs' joy of his IPO for Pixar is a flicker of the joy that God's people have because of the, salva- the joy of our salvation. That's how real this event can be to us. And so how do we do that? How do we live that out? What does this passage teach us about how our faith can trust in this king to the degree that we have this joy? Verse six says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this passage says that the government is on his shoulders. The dominion, the rule is on God, not on us. It's his victory, it's his power, not ours. And so our job is to dwell as citizens by faith in who that king is for us, the one whose government is on his shoulders. And we see these beautiful names of who God is. So I think this is saying three things about how we live by faith in this king whose government is on his shoulders. Number one, if the governance is on his shoulders, that means by faith we can dwell peacefully as citizens of the king, peacefully. So if we go back to our passage We see that the yoke was burdened, the oppressors were defeated, and then in verse five it says, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And I'm reading that as saying our weapons of warfare are obsolete now. If God is the one that has won the victory, we don't need these battle garments anymore. We can be dressed in the garments of peace now. And so what we notice then is one of the big problems to joy is evil people and evil things done to God's people. That's a huge barrier. Just to kind of help us enter into the pain of this, um, I was reading uh, uh, a book called Invitation to Lead by Peter Tokunaga, a Japanese-American. He was on staff with InterVarsity. 
And he's trying to identify uh, what, it, kind of, what is the Asian American identity. And he goes back to a lot of history of Asian American countries where they have this common theme of suffering. Suffering is a big part of Asian history, particularly East Asian history. And there's a word that he, he, uh, he explains called Han. Han, H-A-N, is a, a Korean word. And, and listen to what it means. Han is a sense of unresolved resentment against injustice suffered. A sense of helplessness because of the overwhelming odds against. A feeling of acute pain of sorrow in one's guts and bowels, making the whole body writhe and wiggle, and an obstinate urge to take revenge and to right all wrong. All of these combined is hung. And so when I read that, I, man, I could feel that to some degree. And I wonder if some of you can feel this. You've experienced this in your life. And so we see how this kind of pain can be consuming and wreak havoc on our ability to love others and flourish and live peacefully. And so what this passage is saying is there is only one power that can help us find joy in these circumstances and it's faith in who this child is for us. That this, this child, the governance is on his shoulders and he is our, one of those titles was Mighty God. Now that term Mighty God actually in the Hebrew is El Gabor which really means hero warrior. He is the warrior. Gabor means warrior. El Shaddai means God Almighty. Like he's the God of gods. But this is really saying he is mighty in battle. And so by faith, what we have to do to enter into the joy of our king and live peacefully is trust that he is our protector. He is the one that's going to battle evil on our behalf. And so we trust that God will judge evil at the right time, his time. He is going to deal with evil in the world. We are grateful that God has not yet judged evil or we would not be saved. If God ended evil and took care of all the enemies in the world, we would all be done. But his persistence, and the Bible teaches this very, very clearly, is that allowing evil to persist is actually his patience towards all of us, that we would have time to know our king and be forgiven ourselves, to know his, him and his mercy. But we also trust that whatever specific evil we're facing now, our God, our El Gabor, our mighty battle, our mighty hero will deliver us. And so listen to Paul. Paul, the apostle who did his missionary journeys, his missionary journeys, almost every journey he went on, he had enemies trying to discredit him, attack him, uh, argue against what he was teaching. And so he wrote this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
He was under so much affliction from his enemies, life was just a, a, a groaning for him. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Do you see how he sees purpose? How God is using his enemies and his afflictions? He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, our mighty God, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you see how Paul was able to live at peace with his enemies because he trusted in his God to deliver him and saw him deliver him again and again so that he began to put his hope in the salvation of this God so that nothing can steal his joy. No amount of enemies could touch that sense of protection that his God gave him, that his God would deliver him. And so if you pick up your own weapons of warfare, you will never know Jesus as your mighty hero. If you are fighting your battles, your ways, and not letting God deliver you, then you will struggle to find joy in his salvation. And so for us to live by faith, let us put down the weapons of our own warfare. And you have to think about what that is when you feel wounded by others, when you feel threatened by others, when you feel attacked and hurt. What are the weapons that you use? Maybe you're self-protective in some ways. Maybe you have a cutting wit, a demanding anger, a punishing retaliation. Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. If you live by those weapons of warfare, they will consume you. Let us put them down and learn to trust in Jesus as the government on his shoulders, as our mighty God, so that we can dwell peacefully under the protection of our mighty king. Number two, if the governance is on his shoulders, that means by faith we can dwell securely as citizens of the king. It says, you have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. You know, the joy of the harvest is the idea that all your hard work has paid off. And now you see this abundance and you know you're taken care of for a long time. All this food, all this grain, all this, and so it's a party, it's a celebration because we will now be good. We will prosper this year. And so God's people feel that now. They feel this security of prospering under the reign of this king forever. It's that kind of joy. And so part of what we have to do is trust that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. That word peace is the word shalom. That shalom is so much more than just the absence of fighting. It's the Prince of Prosperity. The Prince of Flourishing. He's the Prince of your welfare. And so that is, you know, that's one of the quickest ways that we lose sight of our joy 
in God and we lose our joy in God is that we feel like we have to do this, we have this anxious toil to provide for all our needs and so work becomes anxious and we're anxious about money, we're anxious about the, what we're gonna, what's gonna happen next year and the year after that, what's gonna happen with our kids, we're anxious about all that, kills our joy. But faith is able to believe in him as our prince of peace. The government, our ability to flourish under his rule is on his shoulders, not ours. And so by faith, we trust that he will provide. Listen to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If the son was given to us, this baby was born for us and then given to us with his own blood shed for us, God is saying, are you gonna trust me? to provide exactly what your souls need? Are you going to trust me for that? Did I, not, did I not put my son on the cross for you? I'm gonna give you all that you need. We have to trust that. You know, the Nunez family, we've been in full-time ministry for almost 20 years. How long has it been? In the Bay Area, in California, you know how expensive it is here, guys? I don't need to tell you that. It's rough to be in full-time ministry and live here. Sometimes Jamie and I joke, we feel like financial grasshoppers in a land of financial giants. And, but you know what? Our family knows that we've prayed for God's provision over the years and really asked the Lord to provide for the things that we're hoping for. As our family knows that mommy and daddy's salary is not our Prince of Peace. The Jesus we pray to and time and time again provides is our Prince of Peace. And so God wants us to know that. God wants us to dwell securely as his citizens and lay down our anxious toil, working unhealthy hours in the week in and week out, we need to lay down our greedy ways, storing up more material wealth to be our security, which only leads to more anxiety. We practice generosity and rest because we dwell secure under our prince of peace that was given. You're gonna have to work that out, what that looks like for you and where you feel the spirit leading you to trust him more. But I think there is something There is something even deeper than fear of not having our needs met sometimes that drives our anxious toil. I had the chance to listen to or uh, watch the documentary on Sylvester Stallone. Did you guys see that on Netflix? Um, very good. Um, I recommend it. And, you know, he's very transparent um, over the course of his career what was driving him. And so he shares about his relationship with his father. You see, uh, his parents got divorced at a young age. His brother went to live with his mother, and he went to live with his father. Already you can see the struggles, and his father was very abusive emotionally and physically, a very violent man. And so he says that it, 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 over the course of his career, he's looked back and he says he realized the most important need in life is requited love. Did I say that word right? Requited, it's a hard word. 
Requited love? Requited, thank you. Okay. Requited, requited love, the idea that love is returned and reciprocated is the greatest need because what he noticed is that um, when you don't get it, the need for it becomes an insatiable driving force in your life. And so Sylvester Stallone had this insatiable driving force to get requited love or quieted love. And he found it in the audience. He found it in the love of the audience. Um, and he says how it drove him to unhealthy ways of working to where he neglected his family. And, and the documentary talks about that. So I think for a lot of us, we have that same need for love, deep love. And when that hasn't been met, it drives us in unhealthy ways to find it. The arms of a lover in work and, and achievement, approval, something you will drive after to feel loved. And so our souls are desperate for this kind of validation. Desperate for it. Even myself, you know, I was reflecting on this. I had loving parents. And I have a loving wife. And yet, I find in my soul this anxiety to need validation still. Which tells me it can't come from a human being. When I, when I feel that anxiety, it means that I'm looking to my work, I'm looking to my wife in unhealthy ways. So we need to be, we need to know that our humanity, our existence, and all its uniqueness and ugliness is deeply cherished, and no human being can bring security to that. But look at who this child is to us. It says that he is also our everlasting father. That term, everlasting father, don't get confused. This is not referring to the Trinity. Me and uh, Miguel and Martin can argue about that at staff meeting next week. But I believe this is referring to the fact that as our king, he has a fatherly care for you. That's a forever love for you. That that deep need to be validated because of a cherished love is on his shoulders. And he came to give it to you, to be that for you. And so by faith, we have to see and trust that this Jesus that was given is our king who loves us and cherishes, and cherishes us in a fatherly way. I love the image that you've heard Pastor Miguel talk about of Mephibosheth. He was the guy with the busted foot in the Old Testament, and King David invited him to sit at his table for his, entire, for his entire kingship, even though this Mephibosheth couldn't fight and couldn't work. Didn't matter. Mephibosheth, I want you at my table. That's the fatherly kind of love. It's intimate. It's close. And so I'm not saying we don't need human love. We do. We do need human love. But I'm saying that we have a foundation in Jesus, a security in our everlasting Father. So when human beings fail us, inevitably they do, that our souls have this anchor in who our everlasting Father is, who Jesus is for us. He was always glad I am here. He cherishes that you are in his kingdom. 
In his word, he will speak to you right where you're at. In prayer, he will comfort you with the anxieties of your heart. With open doors, he will lead you. With closed doors, he will protect you. In the midst of trials, he will discipline you. He will correct you and help you with what is wrong in your heart and help you root that out. Amongst God's people, he will affirm you. You see, if God is present among us, then his, his love for each of us as, as an everlasting father is present. And so he is desiring to affirm who you are. And so out of the mouth of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to hear encouragement. You're going to hear affirmation as to who you are and cherishment of who you are. That's, that's the spirit of God speaking to you. So we have joy because we have peace despite our enemies, because of our El Gabor, our mighty God, our protector who delivers our souls. We dwell securely because we trust in his provision and care of our souls and love and cherishment of who we are. And lastly, if the increase of his governance has no end, then by faith we dwell actively as citizens of the king. I think it's verse six here. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Verse seven. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore. I love this passage. When I read it, it pumps me up. I'm a little bit of a pessimist. Any pessimists out there? I can struggle to believe in a good outcome, which can make me be a little bit of a Scrooge. And so, but here God is speaking to the hearts of all of us pessimists out there. This building project, this kingdom will win. You are on the winning side. This will work out. This, this kingdom, his, governments, his government, government will never end. It is only increasing. Nothing can stop it. And the reason that's good news is what kind of kingdom is it? It's one ruled. A throne ruled by justice and righteousness. But, you know, we can ask of this passage, you know, this says when the child is born, it's just going to start increasing the throne of his righteousness and justice. It's just going to start going and going and going. This wonderful rule in this kingdom. Well, where is it? Do you see this kingdom? The world still feels really messed up. Where is this rule? So the New Testament makes it clear where that rule is. It's the church. Where is his throne being established and manifesting itself in the world where there's righteousness and justice reigning? It's with God's people. It's with us. It's here, together. 
It can't be with you or you or you or me. No single person, no single Christian can establish God's throne of justice. I always find that interesting when a Christian will say to me, well, I follow Jesus, but I'm not about organized religion. Well, then how are you building God's throne of justice? Where, how are you doing that? On your own? That's the height of arrogance. To think that you could build God's kingdom on your own. But God says, when my people are gathered, you are my body. You are my hands and feet. And I am building my kingdom with you together. When you are building one another up, speaking the truth in love, justice, righteousness, taking care of each other's needs, and being a light to the world. And so if this king has been given, the time is now to build his kingdom on earth through the church where his spirit is reigning, where he has deposited amongst us his wisdom from heaven, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is foolishness to the world, but his blood was shed for us, his grace was given, and now we have all we need to build his kingdom amongst us. And so we live by that. We are activated by that. We have the blueprints to build what Jesus has given us. And so come be a part of that. That's what it means that a son was given. Come be a part of building his kingdom on earth. Were you the victim of injustice? Maybe horrible injustice? Come help build the church to be a place where righteousness and justice reigns. By God's wisdom, he is our wonderful counselor. He has given all we need for training and righteousness. Have you suffered from unrequited love? Come help people find security in Jesus' love. Come learn to put down the weapons of your warfare and take up the ways of peace and wisdom. Come be a part of a movement of God that cannot be stopped but will only increase forever. Come be a part of that. So what we want to do is we want to dwell as citizens of the king by faith. That God is establishing his reign. He is our mighty king. He is our prince of peace. He is our wonderful counselor. And by faith we can experience the assurance and hope of that every day. And so what you do with a king, what is it that we do with a king is we pledge to that king. By faith, we say, you are our king, you reign, and we pledge ourselves to, to, to that king. And when that king is Jesus, we do what the Magi did, and we bow to him. We worship him. And so we're going to do that symbolically today. You know, this is our Advent season, so we like to do some participation. So I'm going to invite you to participate symbolically in the act of living under the rule of this king by faith. And so if you today want to pledge to dwell as, by faith as a citizen of that king, to live peacefully towards your enemies, to dwell securely in his love and provision, 
and to take up his purposes to build his kingdom. If that describes your heart, then let's pledge together to do that. Again, it's not something we do on our own. It's something that we do together. So I'm gonna invite you to kneel. You can either come up and kneel or wherever you're at. I'm gonna invite you to come up and kneel. But before I do that, we're gonna, we're gonna be led in kneeling and worship by the children. Because what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that the only way we can experience this joy is by faith. Trusting in who this Jesus is for us. Because it was given, he was born, and now he is in heaven, raised, we're waiting for him to come, and so we, we are assured of those promises by faith. Children are the best vision of what that looks like. And so I'm gonna be inviting the children up to present their gifts that they've made in their class to Jesus, and then I will invite you to join them in kneeling either up front, on the aisles, or wherever you're at, if that describes your heart today. I invite you to do that. You don't have to do it. No one's gonna judge you, but if that's an act of worship physically, I invite you to do that. So children, why don't you come forward? invite you to come and join these children in kneeling or kneel wherever you feel comfortable kneeling in an act of worship and pledge to this king. As you're kneeling, Luke will lead us in a prayer to our King Jesus. Dear Jesus, our Prince of Peace, we pledge ourselves to you as the Son who was given to us. Help us to live as citizens of your kingdom. When we are hurt and angry, help us trust you to be our mighty hero. When we feel sad and unloved, help us know your fatherly love is always there for us. When we are lost and don't know what to do, show us your wonderful path. Be to us our Prince of Peace and increase our joy in you so that you alone would be the hope of our salvation. We pray for your righteousness, rule for your peace and justice to grow strong in your church and for your kingdom to grow over all the earth. We commit ourselves to your purpose and we eagerly wait for you to return to bring us into your kingdom forever. 
Amen. Amen.